Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. This week, we are asking whether advisors and their clients need to think differently about allocations, commercial property, in portfolios as the world embraces radical structural change. I'm David Thorpe, Special Projects Editor at FT Advisor. As many people have embraced remote working and shopping from the comfort of the sofa, blocks of previously prime real estate lie idle and Historic certainties around the role of commercial property in a portfolio must also be called into question. Joining me today to discuss the topic are David Jane, Multi-Asset Fund Manager at Premier Mighton, Rob Bergman, Investment Manager at Bruin Dolphin, and Roger Quirins, Head of European Real Estate at Cohen & Steers. Thank you all for joining me today. Thank you all for joining me today. First, Rob, we'll go to you for the first question. Do you feel that clients and advisors need to rethink the role of property in a, in a balanced multi-asset portfolio right now? Has the risk profile changed as a result of the changes brought about by the pandemic? I don't think so, no. I mean, property still has a role to play for, for a balanced portfolio. It, it sits there, I guess, somewhere between bonds and equities, although if there's been one thing that's been brought home to people is that property is not a risk-free asset class. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little more later. One of the key features of property is, in fact, its fundamental illiquidity. And I think that's, that's been brought home to people, I think, in the last, uh, in the last year or so. And, and Roger, how do you feel? I think there are two things. Um, first of all, I'm, 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 yeah, person with generally thinks that the glass is half full, so I wouldn't expect, um, yeah, a pandemic to do to be a recurring uh, thing. But I think if if you look at property, um, and that already started before the pandemic, I would say you you have to have or you have to own the right sectors within the property sector. So I think that has become much more important due to the pandemic, but also after the pandemic. So I think generally speaking, if you own the right sector in, 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 in your portfolio, it will still generate a very good stable property return. And I would say you have to be more cautious to the risks um, within your property portfolio, I would say. So I think it's very important to take a good look at your property portfolio and see how you are exposed to certain uh, risks. And of course, you know, the technology um, is, is an important one, internet, and that has accelerated uh, because of the pandemic. So I think, you know, that, that you have to be aware of yeah, certain secular trends that, that will accelerate as we speak. But at the same time, there are also cyclical uh, yeah, headwinds and, and, and trends. So it, it, it's a very good question. I think, again, be very focused on what you own, why you own it, and what to expect from it. I think, generally speaking, property, the right property is still a relatively safe asset class with long-term cash flows, uh, inflation protection, so I think that that still has a place in a well-diversified uh, yeah, portfolio. Thank you. David, you run a, a, a range of multi-asset portfolios at Premier Mighton. I think you've added some new ones recently. How do you see property assets and property funds fitting within all of the, the different mandates that you've got? Has the risk 
profile of those uh, changed? I think um, Rob's really right. I mean, property does sort of sit there between equities and bonds as a as a sort of hybrid asset in many ways. It's driven by bond yields, but it's also driven by the economy. And so it has that hybrid role and really is always going to have that hybrid role. I think the fundamental reason why it's performed so badly during the pandemic issue is essentially due to its very nature. You know, it's, it, it provides accommodation for people in offices, which has been very hard hit, and it provides retail properties and so on and so forth. As we move more and more online, those, those, those sources of revenue have been badly impacted. So I think it's a very specific to this particular down cycle that has meant it was so bad for property. But ultimately, the global economy is going to have people and they're going to be accommodated somewhere. And so property is always going to have a role in a, in a mixed asset portfolio. Thank you. Um, and David, if we uh, stick with you for the next question, when you're thinking about allocating to property funds or, or assets, how important is liquidity in the current climate? I mean, the world seems to be awash with, with liquidity, with money being pumped into the system. Does that change how much it matters? And how do you think about liquidity and, and property? Well, there, there are sort of two aspects to that question, really. There's firstly the liquidity of the asset class, the ability to get in and out of assets. And that's fundamentally the reason why in our strategies, which are open-ended, we use the REITs, you know, daily traded property companies and, and, and portfolios of properties listed on the on the stock exchange simply because they provide us with that daily liquidity. But even they, you know, their liquidity can dry up in times of illiquidity. The open-ended funds are more suitable for longer-term investors, really. And um, and so we're obsessed with liquidity. And in many ways, you know, this sort of macro-level liquidity that's available in financial markets at the moment would in normal times have been quite good for property. You know, it's driven down bond yields, and so on and so forth. And the availability of financing for property assets is, is clearly there if people have the courage to do it. So it should have been a good environment for, for property with, with, with such a liquid economy provided by the central banks. But that hasn't thus far really fed through to it because of the specifics of property. Like I said in the previous question, the property has been the hardest hit in this down cycle. And, and Roger, how has the focus on uh, on liquidity? Uh, do we need to focus even more on the liquidity of property fund or property investment than in in the past? Given that there is all of this radical uncertainty in the world, yeah, no, I think that's extremely important. I mean, extremely. I think that this is what you've seen in the past already with all the geopolitical risks happening. Um, then at that time, it was important. But even after that, you've seen uh, all other unexpected things happening, um, among others, the pandemic, of course. So having a liquid portfolio is extremely important for us to continuously generate, call it the property returns. Um, but also, I would say, to anticipate uh, on and, 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 and to react on the unexpected, I would say, you know, today, you do not know a couple of things. We do We do know a lot of things. So that's in our portfolio. But definitely, there are still things that people do not know. Um, and you do not want to have an illiquid asset 
um, exposed to things you do not know uh, in a way. Okay, thank you, Rob. I suppose that's one of the one of the fundamental questions that we've had to deal with in terms of property in recent years is open or or closed ended funds. But I'm sure there's more to it than than that for for different clients. How how do you view the yeah, question? David made some really good points there. I mean. I mean, the FCA have, have opined on this, of course, and they've talked about this fundamental misalignment between an asset class which is fundamentally illiquid or illiquid at times property, real estate, and um, daily trading investment vehicles. So I think that there's work to be done within the industry as to, as to how can you better align those. I mean, from, from our own perspective, I mean, like David, I mean, we, we love liquidity amongst all, over all things almost, pretty much. So our property exposure has been mostly within the kind of daily trading vehicles, whether that's sort of passive funds uh, or the real estate investment trusts that are listed, because they do trade daily. But you know you have to understand. You look at the kind of return profile of these; they've got the volatility and they behave much more. They, they perform in line with real estate over time, over longer periods, but in shorter periods, they're just as volatile as um, as equities are. And really, for for the kind of uh, open-ended property funds, we tend to stick with uh, their use within or what I like to call sort of permanent endowments, whether it's sort of long-term charities, long-term pension funds, where, where that daily liquidity requirement is is not there. But it's a challenge. I think, I think the industry probably would have, would have tackled this, but uh, clearly it's had one or two other issues on its mind over the last 12 months. And as David said, really, it's hard, it was hard to think of a sector that's been harder hit or Hard hit. Actually, that's an interesting question because it's 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 it's, it's, not, it's not so much the hit. It's the it's the inability really of of being able to accurately value property assets that's been sort of fundamental behind the decision of a number of these open ended funds to uh, suspend themselves because obviously they, they they can't prejudice their their remaining unit holders at the expense of their um, of the guys who want to get out. David, I suppose to to follow on with this point about I suppose the, the wider market as, as you mentioned the amount of liquidity in the system right now would historically be be very good for for property with bond bond yields being lower returns on cash being lower but we're, we're aware obviously we have this massive pandemic induced problem but is the UK and is UK commercial property particularly out of favor particularly uh, less attractive because the UK is such a profoundly services based um, economy well that is very much the problem with the UK, isn't it? It's it's leisure, it's services, it's offices, it's retail, it's travel, it's tourism. You know, all the things that we're so well known for are, are, are driving our property market and have been driven by the pandemic downwards, you know, with the whole leisure sector in London. And remember, you know, London in terms of value is, is the highest value area of UK property by a long chalk. So, um, you know, ultimately, it's been the heart of the storm, actually, globally. But, but you know, offices everywhere have been hard hit and retail everywhere has been hard hit and le- leisure everywhere has been hard hit. It's just simply London's role in the global economy means it's been hurt worse. Now, some would argue that means it gives us the biggest opportunity for recovery. But just in the short term, it's clearly sat there in the middle of, 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 of the maelstrom. Thank you. And Roger, this is probably a, a, a question that, that you would have a particular um, interest in or focus on. The UK is a, 
service-led uh, economy, does this mean that UK commercial property is more vulnerable to all of the changes we're seeing in society than perhaps uh, the commercial property in other uh, markets or jurisdictions? Yeah, I think, well, as you can hear, I'm, I'm not from the UK. Um, I'm based in the UK. And if I look at Europe and, and the UK, UK is, is, is quite unique. It's not only services, but it's also London is very dominant uh, in the country. For us, uh, we can actually probably almost only invest in London, except for a couple of other sectors. So I think that's where the risk is a little bit more um, um, also after the Brexit, but also the pandemic. You see a lot of people yeah, moving out of London because of the affordability. People can work from home more. So I think people take the opportunity to improve their quality of life. And that comes at yeah, uh, a disadvantage for London. I mostly speak probably for London, you know, uh, residential apartments, uh, these kind of things. I think on the other hand, London is still a very international city. So, you know, tourists will come back and all that stuff. So I don't think uh, that that's a major risk maybe for the high street retail in London or the West End retail. But on the other hand, uh, we also have to deal with the Brexit now. And I would say Brexit is not a positive for London. It's an, another negative in a way. And you've got cyclical headwinds now from the pandemic. So that's also some kind of a, a negative. If you look at the affordability of rents in London, it's still, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's among the highest rents in the world. So you can argue that there's some pressure, you know, um, some downward pressure on rents for London. So I think that's a, a risk. But on the other hand, we are quite positive on the things outside of London or the sectors that are less exposed to, to, to a uh, yeah, London office uh, market or services sector. So I think you can be quite positive on self-storage, uh, where people move out to London and they need self-storage space to, to probably rent something uh, for the move. We're positive about uh, healthcare, which generally has high yields, very safe yields. Um, we're positive about logistics still. So that's a bit more outside of London from that point of view. But, but I think, and then, and then also if you compare the UK with the Germany, in Germany you can invest in many different cities. You can do Frankfurt, Munich, Berlin. So they all have a little bit more there, there things. And I think in the UK, we, we cannot invest that much. The, the upside for the UK is, can it become a Germany? Yeah, that's a tough call. Um, and I think that's a 10-year call to make. So I think that's uh, far out. Uh, but then you would say UK will benefit from the Brexit, is able to, you know, create its own manufacturing sector again and, and, and be very good on, on tech and all these kind of things and has m many different cities. So London will be a little bit less dominant in the future. So I think that's an upside for the UK, but, that, but that's, that's a long story. Thank you. The nature of the UK economy, does it, does it mean, I suppose, if there are going to be long-term questions about how we use property, whether we're all working from home, whether we're all getting a sandwich at a well-known sandwich shop chain, if that's happening, is there a case for allocating 
your property exposure on a more global basis and a less UK basis to try and avoid some of that maelstrom? I think one of the things to appreciate and understand about what we've seen in the last year is that there has been an acceleration of a number of trends that were already happening and already in place. So if you look at, take retail, for example, if you look at, you look at the percentage of retail trade that had shifted online pre-2020. Now, clearly, during 2020, when most of the shops were shut, that simply accelerated the process. But it was a trend that was very much in place already. And does that mean, okay, we're not so keen on retail in the UK, let's go to retail in France or retail in Germany or retail in Singapore or Shanghai, wherever you want to go. But these trends are not, they're not, they're not particularly UK-centric trends. In some of them, things like online retail, actually the UK is, is at the vanguard of, of developments. But that's retail. But look at the kind of working from home environment, which we've all embraced with various degrees of affection over the last year. These were trends that were already happening, and all we've seen really, this lockdown, uh, has simply accelerated those. So, so by the time we come out, we'll get to, I always say, things are going to return to normal, it's just that the new normal won't be like the old normal was. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be a, new, a new sort of solid state. And within that, I think, you know, you have to look and say, well, will there be the same demand for sandwich shops in the City of London? Not so sure. Will there be the same demand for office space? Depends on depends on what kind of space you need. You might you might you might need the same amount of space because you're going to have fewer people in it, but all socially distanced. And those are the questions. Actually, really, we don't know the answers to right now because it's a very it's quite an, an evolutionary environment. Funny enough, and again, this, this current lockdown I think has heightened things for people to realise. You know, I think people's views. I think because a lot of people talk about this that because because January was the hardest month, January was horrible, everyone was stuck at home, weather was terrible. And a lot of people who I think up to that point have gone, Oh, you know, I'm really happy working at home, yeah. Don't don't have got all interest in going into the office. That changed they've sort of changed their mind over the last six weeks. They think, you know, well actually, you know, it might be nice to get out and see some people for a change rather than sitting here in the gloom at home. So you know, yes, I think I still think property's got a place, but it's 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 how how that shapes up is going to be one of the interesting developments I think in the next few years. Thank you, uh, David. I'm, I'm sure you don't um, get your lunch in the sandwich shop. I'm sure it's it's caviar and pheasant delivered. And you might think that's what I heard anyway. Um, so we won't we won't ask you about the future of sandwich shops, but let's um, let's ask you about. One of the points you made earlier, which is bond yields been low, interest rates been low, generally um, low inflation environment. What if that were to uh, reverse? That would historically be very bad for, well, may historically be very bad for property, although it might be a sign that the economy is growing again. How do you uh, square those off against each other? What's the outlook if um, yields double or triple? Well, it's a double-edged sword, actually, in many ways, because... um, you know, the rule of thumb with property in the ultra long term is is rental growth should track nominal GDP. It's obviously a core asset that drives the global economy. And therefore, you know, rental should grow in line. You know, we'll need the same amount of space, whether it's at home or in an office. And Rob's point about actually using more space in the same office would, you know, my betting would be that would be the outcome in practice. You know, I, I think 
those of us who've been working in the city for long periods of time will know that the total amount of space and the total size of our desk has probably halved over the last last 30 years. And therefore, you know, that's one of the reasons working in such close contact is now regarded as as, as less healthy. So um, ultimately, you'd have half the occupancy occupying the same amount of space going forward. So, you know, that that ultimately could be the driver here. And and when we think about inflation, of course, inflation is a key driver of rental growth. So on one side of the equation, you'll have rents growing faster, and that impacts your valuation to the upside. On the other side of the equation, you're going to have quite potentially the discount rate on those rents or the yield that you're prepared to pay for property also going up because that's related to the bond yield. You could argue that that should net net equally itself out. But of course, in the short term, you'll get the rises in bond yields. And only in the long term will you get the rental increases. So in the short term, it's inevitably going to be bad. But in in the long term, it really should come through as a wash. Thank you, David. And uh, Roger, just I suppose to follow on from one of the, the points you made, you mentioned healthcare, you mentioned uh, logistics. But there's certainly been a lot of uh, capital uh, flown into property funds, UK-listed property funds, uh, which invest in those specialist or, or niche areas of the, of the market. Do, do you think that, well, <laughs> has the money been made from those opportunities already? Um, I, I think if you look at a yeah, standing asset, uh, logistic assets, probably yes to a certain extent. I think, you know, if you buy at a four cap rate, uh, you can still uh, uh, capture some healthy rental growth. So I think it's not a bad investment. But I think where the juice is, where, where, where the value add is in that sector, in the logistics sector, is definitely the developments. I think the, the, the light is still on green, given the strong demand of omnichannel. Uh, we expect the demand is still accelerating. So I think it's not a cycle like you could see in the past where you know, the development uh, starts immediately killed the logistics sector. So we expect that this yeah, positive trend for the logistics sector definitely can generate rental growth. But now, at this time, the, the, the main upside is, is in your development uh, exposure. So you want to own the stocks with the highest development exposure from that point of view. Thank you. Rob, at Bruin Dolphin, when you're looking at portfolio construction, how important are movements of bond yields or higher inflation? And when you're considering the impact that those might have, is property one one of the areas of the portfolios that you might look to, to change if the outlook for bond yields and for inflation and for interest rates changes? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I sort of agree very much with what David just said. I mean, in the end, the, the, the value of a property is a function of its uh, yield, and its yield is a function of where that yield is relative to the risk-free yield, which is bonds. But I guess you have to sort of, if you take a step back for a moment, and sort of say, well, what, what environment is going to cause bond yields to go up, or bond yields are going to go up if people think uh, interest, the breaking interest rates are going up, central bank interest rates. Now, why would central bank interest rates go up? Because inflation was going up. Now, the one thing, the endearing feature of, of property is it's called real estate, and the clues in the word, real. They're a real asset. They're a real asset, and rents, are, rents are, tend to be hold their value over time in real inflation-adjusted terms. 
the, the problem, I guess, is again, it's back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, which is this kind of bifurcation of the of the real estate sector. We can talk about real estate, but real estate actually covers a, multi, a multitude of things, and it's a it's a proper curious egg of a sector. So. For all, for all the travails of um, a company involved in secondary real estate in, in small high streets, small towns in the UK, look at, look at what's happened with the kind of depots distributing Amazon goods. And there's two completely different things there. So, so I think what you'll see if interest rates go up, it will heighten the difference between the quality, quality end of the property sector where they will be the quickest ones to be able to put their rents up because there will be desirable assets that people will want to own. And if their rents go up, then, then, then the real the, the property value should rise in, in line with that. Thank you. Um, and Roger, if we do see a significant uh, rise in inflation, which seems to be being priced increasingly into equity markets, if we do see that come through in, in reality, what impact would that, would that have on commercial property assets? I think two things will come with a significant increase in interest rates. I think at this time, I, I, it's too early to think about that, to be honest. I mean, we, we have to come out of the biggest uh, yeah, contraction in 300 years, uh, if I'm uh, correct. Uh, that's what they say. So already looking at high inflation, higher interest rates, for me, is a little bit premature, but let's look at it. I would say inflation, generally speaking, um, real estate is a good inflation hedge. But I would say you really, again, brings me back to the right sectors. So you have to own the sectors that are able to put the inflation rises through to their you know, end customers. So again, no problem for now for logistics, no problem self-storage, no problem for healthcare, no problem, I would say, for offices uh, if the economic growth is there. And, and you can't print office buildings like, you know, you can print money in high inflation. So I think that's definitely still a rather safe haven. Retail is a bit more difficult, probably. Retail is currently under yeah, extreme pressure for, for lower rents. So that's where I would argue you cannot pass inflation through on your uh, customers uh, yet. But uh, the question is, when will retail bottom out i think that's a very interesting question for you know the year year and years to come thank you david um rob, rob touched on there i suppose the the evolving nature of uh, commercial property at the moment so where we have those um palatial offices that brew and dolphin are moved into or whatever we also have a lot of niche property and investment trusts that have evolved in recent years to invest in in those things whether that is uh, warehouses, there's a, a, a supermarket REIT, whether it's doctor surgeries, those things have done very well. Probably part of that is a function of bond yields being particularly low. But how do you think about those assets? How vulnerable are those assets to a change in this cycle in the years to come? You know, I, one of the beauties of property is it's a relatively slow moving market. And so you know, if you were to have identified the fact that, you know, online shopping was going to gain ever more market share of the retail market five or 10 years ago, you'd have been able to say, well, there'll be increasing demand for edge of town warehouse storage. And you would have got into that market. And frankly, even if it taken you six years to work that out, 
you would have still been able to make money because it's a slow moving grinding market where unlike the equity market where everybody jumps in one direction in a, in a three to six month period the property market is a lot of slow moving buy and hold investors so finding those profitable niches whether it was edge of town warehouses or um self-storage units doctor surgeries there are always great high yielding opportunities where the active investor can arbitrage essentially the 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 very slow moving large pension funds and institutions who generally have a preference for for the dull assets in the industry so the specialist players do add tremendous amounts of value in this market and you know we as investors can say look you know it's quite clear that this is going to be an attractive growing area with higher yields and and often the most attractive areas are the ones with the higher yields and it's often because they're not the ones that that the big institutional investor who just wants a nice safe office let to a very respectable company for 30 years and he'll take a very low yield for that but if you're an active investor seeking higher returns i mean like rob said there there are loads of niches with lots of good money to be made rob do, do you uh, see a, a place uh, for for those sorts of assets particularly in, in income portfolios have they almost come to replace a part of a bond allocation in um in income portfolios yeah very much so i mean if you've got uh if you if your alternative to a property investment is a 10-year government bond with a with a paltry or in a lot of cases negative yield that's not really that's not really going to cut the mustard for people's long-term long-term savings its primary objective is presumably to provide them with some measure of income and then some measure of, of capital protection uh, and inflation protection so so these kind of niche property areas i think have, have played quite a key role and i think they've, they've given uh, investors the opportunity to be a little more specific about the kind of risks that they're taking with their with their property exposure so you know i think you touched on the doctor surgeries there now now you know on the whole doctor surgeries tend not to move they tend to be pretty good tenants and when their lease comes up they're they're, they're, they're not likely to want to go very far from where they are and they, they operate out of quite specific types of property so you know that's that's quite a nice sort of kind of niche investment for people that they can it becomes a cornerstone investment but then you know like the old rule on sort of eggs and baskets i think for, for a lot of people it's a question of having sort of you know a few of these different things but the the, the days perhaps of having a, just a big generalist um, big property investment company which is sort of the, the, the dull end i'm not so sure you know that whether 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 people will still go back to that and like anything of course it comes down to value if there's if there's value there if if those kind of companies trade big discounts to their underlying net asset values, then there's a merit to looking at them and considering them. I mean, markets are cyclical. Markets go up, markets go down. You know, things get expensive, things get cheap. The question is, it's just 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 determining whether something is cyclically cheap or whether it's secularly cheap. Thank you for that um, and for all of your answers today. And thank you for listening to Roger Quirins, head of European Real Estate at Cohen and Steers. David Jane, Multi-Asset Fund Manager at Premier Mighton, and Rob Bergman, Investment Director at Bruin Dolphin. Tune in next time for another edition of the FT Advisor Podcast.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.